welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, I wanted to bring up a point we covered on our last week's episode, and it was regarding the whole topic of USDT. And why I'm bringing it up is because I did some more homework. And USDT, the T actually stands for Tether. And this whole question around what's the source of this stable coin, who made it, it's created by a company called Bitfinex, and they're from Hong Kong. They've been around since 2012. They've got their own exchange that, similar to MT Gox, has been hacked multiple times. They've also been sued for not running a legitimate financial services platform by U.S. governing bodies. And the fact that millions kind of come and go remind me of all those times that we had said that crypto still is the Wild West and is not perfect. So the whole controversy around USDT is that the backing of actual U.S. dollars are in the sum of 3% or so of actual Tether. I think it was $60 billion dollars of Tether, I just checked coin and market cap. That is kind of a problem, I would say. There's no way that's gonna be healthy for the ecosystem. I would think that you would need backing, at least some kind of collateral, right? In case another hack happens or anything like that. And the value of course is the whole idea behind USDT settlement. So the fact that you can settle in a coin that's like the US dollar makes people feel safe. You can say, okay, I made a good trade and I think it's for traders. But now that we looked into it, I guess it does kind of raise a question of who can you really trust? The cliche adage is if you don't own the keys to your wallet, you don't own your coins. And that's what we see with these kinds of platforms. And we covered DeFi last time. This is not decentralized at all. It's on an exchange. It could go dark. It could get hacked. Keep that in mind. If you're going to wire all your money, you could run into an issue. So maybe you start with a small amount. And if you're that good of a trader, put $100 in, put $1,000 in instead of 100000 or a million. Don't go all in is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I heard that, like you mentioned, Tether USDT has had its issues in the past with regards to if they're properly audited with regards to their collateralization of the cryptocurrency to the dollar because one USDT should equal to one US dollar. That's basically the thought that's going behind this. So the fact that there are people questioning whether that's actually the case or not is a point of concern. And a USDT, the Tether, is a stable coin. And I do agree with you. I do believe it's really used as an instrument for cryptocurrency traders. So that way they can move their money in and out of these currencies easier. They can transfer their dollars easier from one wallet to another. So the point of it is that actually has more stability to it and they would be less regulated. But the fact that it is pegged to a US dollar, which is a centralized regulated currency, then it's not fully decentralized. Now, in the quest of trying to find out something better, I've heard of Stable coins like TrueUSD and Gemini USD, I think, was created or issued by the Winklevoss brothers. And I think they claim it to be the first regulated 
stable coin in the world. Now, I don't know much more beyond that point on the coin, but it's interesting to see it is a teething process for cryptocurrency. We're still very early and it feels like the Wild West right now. So we just it's just a discovery phase. I remember when I first transferred some of my funds to USD into a crypto account, I was told, don't leave your money in USDT for long. And I didn't understand why that should be the case. So this clears up some questioning about it and it can be a point of concern. So like I said, always proceed with caution, always put in what you can afford to lose. Yeah. So why I want to talk about these kinds of controversies and regulation is because there was a huge Bitcoin conference in Miami this past week where you have some celebrities like Floyd Mayweather making appearances. You've got Jack Dorsey from Square. And I think we're going to start seeing a shift from it being a joke, actually just misunderstood in general. The early adopters getting rich because they got in early to funds and companies, as we saw in the last six months, starting to take crypto positions. And probably one of the biggest things I saw was that El Salvador actually just proposed a bill to make Bitcoin legal tender. That's crazy because that means it's official government acknowledgement. It can be used to transact. If it's legal tender, that's got to be something that shows up everywhere. So you don't need to find a Bitcoin ATM or have, you know, a techie cousin who is the only other person you know who can trade it. This could actually be that driver I was talking about for people getting paid in Bitcoin, even if it's government administered. So let's say El Salvador legalizes it and they give people the option to even not only take 10% more, but what if they say take 10% less and compared to their local currency, maybe Bitcoin is something people choose. So you might see this modulation of the economy where Bitcoin will finally have an effect on real world tangible things in terms of the day to day. Yeah, and it really raises a solution to a big problem that we have around the world. Maybe for us more privileged people with better lives than most countries and we have our bank accounts, we don't think about this as much. But based on what I found online, El Salvador has a cash economy. 70% of the people there don't have bank accounts. That's huge. So if you think how people transact and deal day to day, a lot of the money comes from working immigrants from abroad who transfer money to the country and they get charged high fees for those transactions and processing fees. And on top of that, I believe that the US dollar is the main currency that's used there. So it raises question whether there is a bit of loss of faith in the US dollar or just a matter of actual convenience and improvement of life with the advantages that you get with cryptocurrency. So regardless of what the actual point might be, there are a lot of benefits and I think that can be transformational for their economy. Because again, we might not think of it as much in maybe most countries, let's say places in Canada or the US or anywhere around the world where you have wide access to banking systems, ATMs, cellular connections, then what happens is you might think, okay, I can already transfer funds to my friend in my own currency from my bank account to their bank account for next to no fees. So I don't see the point of having cryptocurrency. This is where this would come up and actually fix these issues. Yeah, and to clarify, every transaction needs a confirmation. And in order for it to be legitimized on a blockchain, there has to be more than one. So I think Bitcoin was famous for minimum six confirmations where miners will come in agreement that that's the true blockchain. And once that transaction has been stamped, 
then it gets processed. And I think how that works is you will have a chain of transactions following it. And once that chain is known and true and followed, then yours gets accepted. It's almost like miners will all work on transactions and the ones that end up solving blocks, essentially building them, are what make the blockchain what it is. We've covered Visa and PayPal doing some crypto partnerships, but I heard a rumor of even someone like TD who may start adding crypto to their platforms. We're only one or two major moves away from this going mainstream, which has always been the question of crypto. A lot of legitimately smart people who have built their careers on building the future, on investing, not always supported this because it's different, it's new, it's foreign. That's quite natural. Not everyone is going to get it right away. And just like anything else in life, the technology is not all proven out. So back to if it's your passion or not, if you're not passionate about crypto, it's not going to come up. You're not going to really care. And until it's like, okay, well, I guess I got to get paid this new way. In fact, as excited I am to get people actually accepting paychecks in crypto, you're probably going to have people who say, well, why do I got to deal with this new system? What is this Bitcoin anyways? Or whatever currency is going to be thrown around, you're always going to have people who say they like it and they don't. So Cal, when it comes to inflation and Bitcoin and the company accepting it, what do you think that would do to transaction volume? I mean, I'm only asking because when I was doing my Bitfinex research on Tether, there's a lot of belief that the 2017 bull run was primarily due to Tether. And back to what you said about their audit process, there's actually a theory that there was market manipulation in the sense of Tether being transacted back and forth. And this is why regulation is actually so interesting, so much so that I actually want to get one of my own financial services licenses. I've talked about this before, but accreditation with the SEC, there's now three licenses that are official as of, I think, April 14th of this year that you can get to let you become an accredited investor. So for our listeners who haven't heard that, traditionally, if you want to invest in private shares of a company, you want to invest in the next Uber or Twitter, you have to know someone and you have to have money and you also have to be rich because the SEC or those laws were designed to protect, quote unquote, people from throwing in their life savings and losing it on something that's very high risk. It was decided that if you're rich and you want to spend a portion of your wealth on these kind of risky investments, go ahead. But I'm glad the tides are turning because the whole idea here is that no matter where you are in this country, if you have the curiosity to learn and you want to learn about crypto or you want to learn about building a business, there should be zero reason why you can't improve your standing in life. It's just very topical because on the regulation side, I would rather do things the right way. My questions are now, if I wanted to start a crypto trading platform, what kind of regulations are required? Gemini, it is the Winklevoss. They have their own platform. They're pushing regulation. And the whole idea with taking a yes approach to regulation, it's probably a sensitive topic because decentralization, by definition, can't have regulation. Because if you're a governing body that regulates, you're a central body. And that is why I think the space has not yet matured and is trying to as well in different ways. The whole idea is, do you welcome regulation or do you not just accept it as is, but do you change the existing laws to accommodate this? So my ATM example of them being closed after hours or normal banking hours not changing, that is where regulation could be turned to a positive to say, 
okay, crypto can be transacted 24-7 on the stock markets everywhere else. And it's very muddy because there's so many different rules around securities law and there won't be an overhaul overnight, but it's worth pursuing because there are people who essentially became grifters and took hundreds of millions of dollars. And there's a reason why globally accepted accounting principles on how to report things, because this lets people work with the company with some level of transparency and understanding that they're not getting fleeced, that they could do business with these companies, that if I'm going to invest a dollar outside of Canada or the US, that it's not going to get stolen and disappear. And for that specific aspect alone, I would say I absolutely welcome regulation. I'll be careful to use that word. I would say more the standardization. What's a mutually accepted standard towards allowing people to transact in crypto? Can I go to my local branch and tap a button, hand them my cash, and they'll convert it to Bitcoin and deposit it into my trust wallet that they have in holding, and then I can take it off platform. So that's kind of where this all ties in together. Do you have any comments, Cal, on what the best regulation or standardization would be as we move into modernizing crypto for everybody? could be a very complex topic, to be honest, and it took me even a while to get my head wrapped around the idea of how to perhaps manage, not necessarily regulate, but like you said, standardize the proper use of cryptocurrency. And you know that no one's really getting ripped off. So I think the fact that on the Ethereum platform with smart contracts, I think that's basically the idea of it. And that's what makes it so interesting to me and to many others. And with that, code becomes law, as they say. So whatever's written, whatever code is etched into that cryptocurrency, then that's it. No one can change it. No one can be above it. You know that this is what it is. There's no preferential treatment. There's no room for fraudulent actions. All of that does come into play. And that's the thing with cryptocurrency. Just now that it's gaining popularity, I think even with the current cryptocurrency volatility, I don't think it's anything personally like the 2017 crash. And the reason behind that is there's a lot of institutional backing. And that's just reassuring when you see there's that much money getting pumped into the system because there's true belief. A lot of it might be speculative, sure, but you have people that actually believe in the future potential of what this can turn to be. And it's not just the way we transact and the way we deal with money as we know it, I think it significantly improves its efficiency in terms of funding, in terms of many things. I just think the potential is huge. Cryptocurrency is so volatile. You know, one day you own it at a certain price, the next day it loses half its value, and the day after that it triples. This is an actual fact. But the challenge is that's what happens when something is so small at the very, very beginning of its life. It's still unstable. It's still undecided in its value. That's where stable coins, going back to where we're talking about, it comes in. And that's where you want to have the true belief of having some sort of transitional instrument that would use some of the centralized aspects. So having those stable coins like USDT that is backed by an actual asset that we know of that is more stable. And that way you'd be able to get in and out of those crypto transactions. I believe a solution to that, and it seems to be gaining popularity for quite a few years now, is the DAI currency. So DAI, as we mentioned before in the previous episode, is a cryptocurrency that is actually crypto collateralized. 
So it's not backed, it's not pegged to the dollar. It's basically backed by a basket of cryptocurrencies. And that way it creates more stability in its value and keeping the peg consistent by algorithms. If there's a high demand in this stable coin, then it can stabilize by minting more coins or burning more coins. Does that make DAI like a crypto ETF? You can think of it, yes, because it's a basket of currencies. I don't actually, I haven't looked into what currencies it consists of, but it should be all based on the Ethereum platform. So perhaps you can think of it that way, but because it's a stable coin, it doesn't have value in holding it. It's more of a transactional coin as opposed to an ETF where you actually, for example, you can buy shares of the ETF and that would increase in value where this will try to maintain a peg to the value of the coins it's part of. It's more of a stable currency. In a way, it should work similar to how USDT works and other stable coins work. But just to understand this a little bit better, if it's pegged to Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Ripple, and let's say Doge, if two out of the five drop 50% and the other three go up 5%, it's still pegged to a generally losing position. It's almost trying to average the returns year over year. Is that correct? So you could, in effect, hold it like an ETF for tech in that sense. Now, I wouldn't know the exact details of how that works, but just to maybe be a bit pedantic with your example, it wouldn't be pegged to these currencies because they'll have to be pegged to currencies on the Ethereum platform. So Dogecoin, Ripple, Bitcoin, they're not part of the Ethereum platform. DAI would be pegged to other currencies that are based on the same platform. So I would believe they would be moving in tandem with each other, and hence it'll be able to hold its value better that way. Makes sense. So it's on the ERC-20 token. But does that make DAI a, a mixture of a thousand coins or a hundred? I guess we'll have to leave that for a future topic. But it just goes to show that there's so much unknown in the space. And I saw a really good video on NFTs that was hosted by Inside.com. You can check them out. The guy who started that, Jason Calacanis, is a former tech journalist who became wealthy investing and has his own podcast. I'm a huge fan. You should go check that out. But what I found enlightening was he had people on there who literally have developed their own coins, NFT artists, all sorts of people who are actually at the forefront of the space. And they still have no clue what's going on. They have an idea of what the technology will become, but NFTs specifically are just seeing the first wave into modernization. And crypto is the same. We're still in the early 2000s of the internet, essentially. We haven't gone to mobile phones. We haven't gone to 2 billion people using the same app around the world. We're still not at that level. So if you want to look at the maturization of this kind of technology in terms of adoption, when is someone going to use Bitcoin on their phone to trade with people for an average meal, almost like Apple Pay? And not only that, when is it socially accepted to own some and not something that techie people do is another question. So as we close off here, there's a couple of sites called Etherscan and BSC Scan. So whether you're on the Ethereum or the Binance smart chains, you can actually pick up a brand new token that you've heard about. So maybe it's in the basket of DAI and you can follow how many holders of wallets are there, what percentage is owned by these certain wallets, and you can actually view the transactions and see them happen real time. So it's almost like a heartbeat of this technology 
this is the first time in history that you can view this, whereas you can't see the order books of US dollars transacting around the world, especially if it's all cash. We had no insight into that. But the fact that it's on a ledger lets you learn about it. You can follow it. You can make inferences about its future value. And you can buy $10 of any of these coins. A lot of these coins are worth a fraction of a penny. And it's just cool to explore and say, okay, I'm going to buy a dollar of this coin or $10 of this coin because I think it's cool. Or I think this one actually will be worth something one day. And this will help that discovery process of both getting in the space and learning about the space at the same time. This helps to make it not as daunting, if you will. And you can actually pick up one or two different coins and go from there. Awesome, Cal. So I just want to wrap up with those final thoughts on how it was also new for us at one point. Now regulation is new for us. Every time there's a new headline, we learn about it. So just want to thank everyone for listening today. Appreciate it. If you want to drop us a line about future episode topics or specific coins that you find interesting, send us an email. You can reach us at info at methodicalmillions.com. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.